Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. That's where we're going to be as we continue the study of Hebrews. I want to say good morning to you. It's a joy to sing alongside of you, worship alongside of you this morning. Uh, I want to say a special welcome. If you're a guest, maybe it's your first time or first few times with us here at Tri-Cities, we are thrilled that you are here this morning and thrilled that you're here this time of year. There's a lot of new opportunities for you to engage in the life of this body. We'll be talking more about that in just a few minutes. But it is August and August means back to school for a lot of our kids. And all the kids are like, oh man. And all the parents are like, yes, finally back to school. It's August. Glad you're here. I'll say even following this service today, if you are not connected in a go group, engaging more in the life of this body, you can go right downstairs right after this service. We have a go group for you to plug into. Again, not just to orbit around the perimeter of this church family, but to engage fully encourage you take a look at the opportunities that are here Hebrews chapter 10 if you need a Bible there's one in front of you we're going to read down through the first 10 verses but before we read those verses let me let me just set up briefly what we're getting ready to read and I want to set it up with a really quick story and the story goes like this Uh, there was a little girl who grew up and she lived a long way from the beach Now, maybe she lived in the Midwest, maybe she lived in the ends of the earth, somewhere like West Virginia, I don't know, but the point was, a long way from the beach. And when she was young, her parents told her about the beach and the waves and the surf and the sand, and man, she just dreamed of the beach. Her parents told her, it'll be a long time before we're ever able to go to the beach, so they, they bought her this massive picture of the ocean and of the beach and they put it up in this little girl's room and she had this and every day she would come out and she would look at this picture and she just grew to love this picture of the beach when the fullness of time if you will as this little girl grew older when she became a teenager finally her parents were able to save up enough money to go to the beach they loaded up the car and they loaded up their suitcases and Out of the house came this little girl with her picture. Because she had really grown to love that picture of the beach. And her parents said, no, you you can leave that picture behind. We're, We're going to the real thing. Just leave it behind. And she said, no, I've really grown to love this picture. So they said, okay, just, just put it in the car. Just bring it with you. So they make the long drive. They finally get to the beach. They pull up. There it is, the ocean, the surf, everything that she's been told about. They get out of the car, and the parents say, now, honey, you've got to leave your picture in the car. You can't take that down on the beach. But she had grown to love that picture. Finally, the decision was made, and she said, I can't part with this picture. And she got back in the car, and she sat there, and she just continued to stare at the picture with the reality of the beach just a few feet away. Now, if you've been walking along with us in Hebrews, you know that is a picture of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a letter written to a Hebrew, a Jewish community that had grown up in what is known as the Old Covenant. The Jews grew up knowing that there's a a gap between a holy God and sinful man. And God in his grace knew knew that Christ was going to be the only way to bridge that gap. But, 
before Christ came, he gave a picture. He gave what was called the old covenant with the priesthood and the tabernacle and all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And they were all just pictures. The author of Hebrews is writing and he's pleading with his hearers to say, all those pictures were good, but they were incomplete. Now the fullness of all of that is here in the person of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews is written to declare unashamedly the superiority of Jesus Christ in all things. He is the better and ultimate and full revelation of God. He is the better and ultimate and full rest by which we enter into by faith. He is the better and enduring eternal high priest who is the mediator of a better covenant between God and man. And finally, as we're going to look at today and next week, as we look at chapter 10, Jesus is the better and complete sacrifice for sin. That's the point of this text we're going to look at. So Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 1, I'm just going to read these verses. You can kind of follow along. We're going to have a big truth, a few big ideas, make it really practical. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family this morning. So Hebrews 10, look at verse 1. I'll read the first 10 verses. For since the law... Now, I'm not going to stop at every verse, I promise, but when you read the word law here, just think old covenant and all the, all the components of it, the tabernacle and the priesthood and all the sacrifices, all of these things that you see throughout the Old Testament. For since the law has but a shadow, huge word, the word shadow means a pale reflection, it's just a shadow, it's not the reality. It has a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of the realities. Because of that, it, the law, the old covenant, all these things, can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. There's that word perfect again. It's this idea of complete, brought to its completion, The law, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the priests, all that. The author of Hebrews is declaring clearly, unable to make perfect, complete, forgiven, redeemed those who draw near. He continues his argument, verse 2. He says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins. If these sacrifices of old were sufficient for salvation and atonement, you wouldn't have to do them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again like the old covenant. Verse 3, but, he says, in these sacrifices, as he's talking about particularly, these sacrifices of old, these sheep and goats and all these different symbols, all these things, all these sacrifices, as they're offered, there's a reminder of sins year by year. Talk about that in just a few minutes. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You didn't get the picture? Sums it up, verse 4. Impossible for any earthly sacrifice to atone for the sin of men and women. 
Verse 5, consequently. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said... Now, we're going to talk a lot about these verses here, but particularly if you've not read Hebrews 10, strongly encourage you to go back and read it because when you begin in verse 5, the author of Hebrews is going to quote an Old Testament passage from the psalm. He's going to attribute that Old Testament passage to the very words of Jesus and say, I'm going to bring you in, this is incredible, to a Trinitarian conversation between God the Father and God the Son. It's incredible. He says, but when Christ came into the world, he said, who was he talking to? Evidently within the Trinity, to the Father, he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, speaking evidently to the Father, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, speaking of Christ, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the scroll of the book. It's nothing new. It's throughout the scriptures, verse 8. When he, Jesus, said this above, you've neither desired nor taken away the sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Verse 9. Here's the commentary by the author of Hebrews. He does away, Jesus, with the first, the shadow, in order to establish the second, the reality in himself. Summary verse, verse 10. And by that will, the purpose, plan of God, his will, the will of the Father that was discussed before time began, by this will, we who believe have been sanctified, how? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Incredible passage of Scripture, incredible section. We're going to be in this for the next couple of weeks. That This idea that Jesus is the better and full and complete sacrifice but this morning I want to chase one of the themes here and it's this your big truth this morning is this that Jesus is the father's will for atonement this is the father's will we're going to press that out and what that means in our lives from these verses this morning but remember the author of Hebrews wants something for his readers You can't miss this if you're reading through the book of Hebrews. He's writing to this Hebrew community. He wants them to see and come and embrace their Messiah. Some that are reading the letter in this day. They've already come to faith. They're embracing the Messiah. But man, it's costing them. And he writes the letter to them to say, hold fast. Press on. It is true. Jesus is the better sacrifice. He is the better high priest. And on and on. But some he is writing to are still on the outside looking in. They would intellectually believe all the claims of the Messiah. But they have yet, watch, to let go of the pictures of the old system And fully embraced by faith, Christ and Christ alone is the means for their salvation. And he's pleading with them saying, the old was temporary. The old can never save. It is only a picture. And it's as if he's pleading with them. 
come to the reality. Come to Jesus, your Messiah, the better sacrifice. So what he does in these ten verses, the first few verses, he shows the weakness of the old system, of these old sacrifices. Why were they not able to save? He talks about that briefly. And then he goes and says, but let me show you why Jesus is the better sacrifice. So that's our question is this, how then is Jesus the better, enduring, complete sacrifice for your sin and my sin? The author of Hebrews is going to help us. Okay, so how's Jesus the better sacrifice? Go back to verse 1. He says, for since the law is but a shadow. And again, he's going to look back to that old system, all those old sacrifices and say... They're all a shadow. They're all a picture. The word shadow is is the idea of, again, we've used this illustration before. If I hold my hand up here, it casts a shadow on this podium. The shadow is not the real thing. There's something behind the shadow that's the reality. And he says, again, all those sacrifices that have been made, they're just a shadow. And he goes on and he says, of the good things to come... There's a better reality behind the shadow. He says that is the true form of these realities. He, he juxtaposes here this word skia or shadow with this word icon, which is the true image, the reality. It's the same word here, by the way, that's used in Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the true form. Right of Hebrews goes back to that. He says, of the good things to come, he says, by these same sacrifices that are continually offered year by year, they can never make perfect those who draw near. Again, this idea of perfect is full completion. It's the idea of forgiveness of sins and access into the very entrance presence of God. The old system can never provide that. So here's big truth number one very quickly is this. The old sacrifices provided only a picture of something greater. The law with its priesthood and covenant and tabernacles and sacrifices can never make a person perfect since it's only a shadow of the true form which is found in Christ, his final and complete sacrifice of himself. So the author of Hebrews again Understand, the weakness of the old, all these old sacrifices, it's just a picture, man. As you read through your Old Testament, which we're doing this year as a church, you come to so many of these shadows that are throughout the Old Testament. You have to read them and understand they're meaningful, they're important, but they're incomplete. For example, we talked about it a few weeks ago back in the Garden of Eden. You you, you remember that that's where sin entered the world and Adam and Eve who were in a perfect relationship with God sin entered in and that relationship was broken by sin and Adam and Eve respond by going to the corner of the garden and they cover themselves in fig leaves trying to cover their own sin but God comes in Genesis 3 21 as a picture of what is to come and the Bible says and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them so what he do God in his Grace took an animal, slayed it, the blood was spilled, took the garment, covered them in a picture that Jesus is the only picture and the means for our atonement. But that that was just a picture of what was to come. 
Read through the Old Testament, you come to Egypt, you come to Exodus, the story of the Passover in Egypt. Remember that story? The death angel is coming as the tenth plague on the Egyptians. And God says, the plague is coming. Judgment is coming. Take a lamb. Kill that lamb. Take its blood, paint it over your doorpost, and when the death angel passes over if he sees the blood what happens he'll pass over and judgment is stayed that Passover lamb is a picture in fact Jesus even takes that Passover meal and transforms it into what we have as the Lord's Supper to say my body my life I am the fulfillment I am the Passover lamb just a picture don't get caught up in just the pictures. They are pointing to the greater reality. These pictures show us the cost of sin is death. The payment for sin demands a sacrifice. And these pictures point to the ultimate sacrifice that's coming in the person of Jesus. These are pictures. The author of Hebrews goes on. Says the sacrifice of Jesus is better because the old ones just to provide a picture. Keep reading. Verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin year by year. Every time the worshiper would come and offer these sacrifices in the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews is saying it was intended to be a reminder of your sin. It was to call a, a, a reality back to mind that the cost of sin is death. The payment of sin must be a sacrifice, and at the same time, but the ultimate sacrifice is coming. That's the second big idea. These old sacrifices provide just a reminder. This ongoing repetition of these old sacrifices was, was to demonstrate the ongoing grip of sin. The ongoing slavery to sin and the cost of sin. The law, therefore, serves to convince, to only make clear people of their sinfulness. In other words, these things are a reminder. Let, let me illustrate it really quick so you understand. It's like an x-ray. <laughs> if I have a broken bone and I go to the doctor and the doctor gives me an x-ray, you know what that x-ray reveals? I got a broken bone. But that x-ray has no power whatsoever to heal the brokenness of my bone just reveals it so author of hebrews is saying in the same way all these sacrifices and all this old covenant system was like an x-ray it revealed the brokenness it revealed the cost of sin but had no power to heal to cleanse the old sacrifices provide only a reminder how is Jesus a better sacrifice? The old sacrifices were just a picture. The old sacrifices provided a reminder. And to these Hebrews, he's saying, quit holding on so tightly to that picture that you're grasping. It just points to something better. It's just a reminder. Then he comes to verse 5. And he comes to verse 5 and he says, consequently, as a result or to build on this reality, he says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings, the old covenant, you, my father, have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Now stop right there. This is an immensely important verse. I got to tell you, I've probably read over this verse 
a hundred times in my life. I was reading it this week, and I saw things. For some reason, it's like, have I never seen that before? What you have here in verse 5, as I said earlier, is the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is giving you a, a glimpse into a Trinitarian conversation between God the Son and God the Father. You see here the reality of the Trinity. If you don't hold to a one God, three persons, you got trouble with Hebrews 10.5. Jesus, the Son, is speaking. It demonstrates the eternality of Jesus. This is a conversation that he's having before he ever became a man. He existed forever and ever and ever. It also points out to us the virgin birth of Jesus because he says, these offerings you've not desired, that was never your will, Father, but here you have prepared a body for me. Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, yeah, but the Father, the Spirit, prepared this body and that supernatural incarnation and all that's going on there makes reference to that. All of this little verse. All these realities of Jesus. Then he goes on and he says in burnt offerings and sin offerings, all these old sacrifices, you, the Father, you've taken no pleasure. Doesn't mean they were wrong. It means they were incomplete. They served a particular purpose. And Jesus goes on and says, verse 7, Then I said, speaking of the Son, Behold, I have come to do your will, O oh God. Circle that little word, your will. There's much here about this being the will of the Father, that Jesus is the will of the Father for atonement. Nothing else, nothing else could atone. Only the Son. It says, Behold, I've come to do your will. You also hear, see here that this plan of redemption this plan to redeem is an eternal plan set in motion before the world ever began. All this here in these two little verses. He says, I've come to do your will. Verse 7, as it is written in the scroll of the book. It's like the author of Hebrews is getting a little dig here, quoting the Old Testament. He says, listen, if you don't understand that Jesus has always intended to be the sacrifice, it's always been the plan of God, have you read your Bible? He says, it's in there. To the Jew, he's saying it's throughout your scriptures that this is the will of the Father, that the Son would be the atoning sacrifice. It's like Jesus, remember when he was on the road to Emmaus with some of those disciples and it was post-crucifixion and after the resurrection and they were walking on that road to Emmaus and he didn't reveal to them who he was and they're walking along and they're saying, man, there's crazy stuff going on in Jerusalem. Have you heard about all this? And Jesus just kind of shows up and starts walking alongside of them and they look at him and they go, do you know what's going on? Have you? And he's like, yeah, I, I kind of know what's going on. Yeah. Watch. Then Luke 24, verse 25 and 27, Jesus says, And he said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? Was it not the will of the Father all along for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into glory? 
Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, all the Old Testament, all the scriptures, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. It's another way of saying right here what he says in verse 6 again, or verse 7 again, it's all there, it's written in the scroll of the book, it's all written. Jesus was to be the will of the Father for atonement and only Jesus. Then he added, verse 9, keep going. Behold, I've come to do your will. He, he, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. Again, the author of Hebrews is giving you an interpretation here. He's saying, look, you can't hold on to the picture and trust in the picture and claim to trust in the reality. Faith is you let go of the picture. You let go of any lesser thing that you think saves and you come to the only thing that saves that is your Messiah, King Jesus. He says that and declares that to declare the first, to put that one away and to hold out the reality. He says here to establish the second. Then verse 10, really the key verse in the whole passage just look, listen to this verse he says and by that will this eternal will of the father this will of the father that was established before the world began that Jesus would be the sacrifice for the sin of humanity and by that will we who have believed have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Man, hallelujah, what a Savior. It's one of the only times in the book of Hebrews, by the way, the author uses Jesus Christ. He'll refer to Christ Messiah. He'll refer to Jesus. Here he puts it together as if to say through those Hebrews, your Messiah is here. Jesus the Christ is here. So how is Jesus a better sacrifice? Quickly, I'll give you two big ideas and we'll close. Big idea number one is this. How is Jesus a better sacrifice? First, only the sacrifice of Jesus perfectly fulfills the Father's will. Only Jesus. This plan that was put into motion before the world began, only Jesus is eternal. Only Jesus is the sufficient God-man who existed before time but took on flesh in your place and in his eternality. He is capable of taking on the sins of the world. Only Jesus is capable of that. Jesus is the virgin-born sinless one. Only Jesus. Only Jesus fulfilled God's eternal plan to redeem a people for his glory. Only Jesus is capable of that. He is the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for sin. All the old stuff, just pictures. Come to the reality. Now we could spend a whole message, and I'm not going to, chasing this idea that he says here of the Father's will. What, what does he mean exactly by that will? And there's so much here. There's a few verses that speak into that in the New Testament. I want to, I want to give you some of those really, really quick. But he says, verse 10, by that will, by that plan, by that determined course by the Father, it is by God's will that we have been sanctified. 
in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me give you a few verses. You can just look these up. They're not on the screen. You can spend time on these on your own. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Jesus, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. In other words, to declare again, this plan of God is from eternity, outside of time. It's not plan B. It's not reactionary. It's the plan of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 22 says this. Peter speaking at Pentecost says, Men of Israel, hear these words. This Jesus delivered up. Why? Because he got tricked? Because he's a martyr? No. Why was Jesus delivered up? Listen to this. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Wasn't an accident. Wasn't a mistake. That evil, even the evil that the men carried out at the cross, guess what? Somehow, someway, perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father. Man. Rest in God's sovereign will. Philippians 2, 8, speaking of Jesus that this will of the Father to be carried out demanded the obedience of the Son. Jesus, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this will was from eternity. This will was purposeful. This will was carried out as the Son. As he says here, I've come to do your will, willingly laid down his life in obedience to the Father to be this better sacrifice. Only Jesus is capable and able of fulfilling the Father's will. Last one about this will. Sacrifice of Jesus will bring about the desired purpose. What's the end game in all of it? Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, there's a day coming when part of this will will be the fulfillment of a throng and host of people from every tongue and tribe and nation and people who have been purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus to the glory of the Father. When was that determined? Before time began. Is it a promise? It's an absolute reality. Here's what Revelation chapter 5 says. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you, Jesus, were slain. God's will, better sacrifice, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests and our God. And they shall reign upon the earth. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, the better sacrifice to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. The will of the Father to redeem a people from every tongue and tribe and nation and the Son to be the only worthy, capable sacrifice of bringing it about. Jesus was the will of the Father for atonement. Only Jesus. Only Jesus perfectly fulfills the Father's will. Now, got just a couple of minutes, let me show you the last point here. He says, why is Jesus a better sacrifice? We saw because only he can fulfill the Father's will. There's another reason, verse 10, look at it quickly. He says, how is Jesus a better sacrifice? Verse 10, and by that will, mark this in your Bible, we have been sanctified. 
How? By what means? Through the offering, the better sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Second big idea, or last big idea. Only the sacrifice of Christ is able to sanctify those who draw near to God. It's a glorious word. At the beginning of Hebrews 10, there's a word that's used, it's cleanse. That the old sacrifices could cleanse, meaning just external, ceremonial cleaning. The word sanctify means a thorough, from the inside out transformation. It means to make holy. It means to set apart from sin and present to God. It's the full orb of our salvation that's not just external rule following. It is a complete transformation from within. That's why 1 Corinthians, you just look this up later, chapter 1 verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Only in Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection is able to fully sanctify and bring to completion God's plan for you to be ultimately like Christ. And that's why he is a better sacrifice. Romans chapter 8 verse 29. I'll just read this again. It's not on the screen. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. God's will, God's will for you to be redeemed, God's will for you to be sanctified, God's will for you to be set apart, God's will for you to be progressively made like the Son, and the only means to ultimately bring that about in the will of the Father, determined before the world began, is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Listen, Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Only the sacrifice of Christ perfectly fulfills the will of the Father. and Only the sacrifice of Christ is able to sanctify life those who draw near. I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just begin to play. We're going to prepare for the Lord's table in just a minute. I, I, I'm not completely finished. I want you, you want to just stay with me. As the team just begins to prepare, I, I, I just want to remind you, 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 you might be there and you say, well, okay, Pastor Mike, as we talk about the old system and the old sacrifices and all of those things, I, I just got to be honest, I'm not really tempted to go out and try to find a cow in my pasture and sacrifice it and think that's going to save me. No, but let me tell you what we are tempted to do, that this passage speaks directly to where we're living. We are tempted to trust and settle in lesser things, maybe even good things to atone for our sin or to somehow find pleasure before God. Our righteousness, our standing before God is in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus alone. Trust in him and him only. Or you may be tempted to forget that in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here, positionally, positionally you have been declared sanctified, blameless, holy. 
before the Father. You say, well, I, I didn't contribute to that. I didn't do it. It's the grace of God. It's in Christ. Positionally, that is a reality of you right now, child of God. And it is from that positional reality that we, by faith and the power of the Spirit of God, pursue practical holiness in our daily lives. We fight this thing called sin. Why? Because we want to be more like Jesus. And we love Him. And we know what He's already declared to be true. We want it to be true in our daily lives. We fight for that. And we're tempted to forget we look at the world and we fuss about the way the world is and we're mad about the way this is going and that we forget that you as a child of God and only the church has the message that Jesus and Jesus alone saves you got that message so before we complain about the way the world is let's own the reality that we and we alone have the message that is the answer of Jesus and Jesus Christ we sang this earlier. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. One of the verses in that song says, And when before the throne I stand in him complete. Why? Because Jesus is a better sacrifice. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. And raise this life up from the dead. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Father, we thank you for these realities. Now press them into our lives. Send us out changed. Send us out on mission. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.